Welcome to the Gaining Momentum Podcast with your hosts, Abby and Megan. This is the podcast where we try our best to parent our kids for the world we want them to grow up in and the world we live in now. Welcome back to another episode of Gaining Momentum. This week, before we get into the second part of our episode with Chuinis, I just want to check in with you, Meg. What's up? How are you? I'm okay. I'm, I feel like maybe we talked about it recently, but I do feel like we're a year into a pandemic. I'm just you feel like that. it? Because it's yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was telling you this a little bit before we went on air, but I was at the store and I felt like we had gone back in time a year and we were actually at the beginning again because things are getting so bad again, but it's wearing on me, Abby. It's wearing on me. Me too. Time means nothing. I kind of think the movie Palm Springs might actually be on the verge of being a reality. And maybe (laughs) we wandered through some weird like time hole warp worm wormhole. (laughs) Oh, that was a great movie though. Speaking yeah, I watched that. I want to say near the beginning of the pandemic. I don't even remember when it came out anymore, but I watched it a long time ago, but it maybe was yesterday. Like, it could I don't have been know. yesterday. I'm pretty sure it was yesterday. <laughs> we haven't done this in a while. What are you listening to? What are you watching? Tell me what you're doing. I know we've talked about the show on the pod. Um, mm-hmm. Waffles and Mochi yeah. is a big one in our house. <laughs> yes, yes <us laughs> I watched too. that with my kids, specifically the potato episode. That was a good episode. Yeah, we've watched that several times and he has made plans. My son has made plans once um, we're able to go over to one of our, my friend, his uncle's to make a potato battery. Yeah, sweet. I, I feel like mine yeah. would be more inclined to make the like underground oven and start my house on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm watching, I am watching Superstore. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, starring America Ferrera, which is also another callback to a past episode mm-hmm. when we were talking about friendship. Totally. Because I root for the four women of the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Yeah. I guess lifelong rooting for them because... I am obsessed with all of them. Still. I know. And for a minute, I couldn't get behind Blake Lively, but I might be back behind her. I don't know. Yeah, I think, yeah, her and Ryan Reynolds seem to be doing the work to understand privilege yeah. and to help people who are in disadvantaged positions. So I'm into it. Me too. Totally into it. I love that show. It's like exactly what we need right but now. But it's America Ferrera who's in Superstar, yes. just to be yes. clear. Be very, so very don't, clear. Don't go in watching it expecting Blake. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's just like, it's just so funny. It's like, it's so funny. It's so light, but also like, talks about stuff and like yeah like there's something about like the setting of the store too that I find very like calming and endearing yeah it's like a Walmart style store um following the people who work there Mm -hmm. and so it's like basically like a workplace sitcom but really funny I think it just finished sharing its finale a couple weeks ago I'm not there yet because I just started watching mm-hmm. it like three weeks ago and now I'm already like into season five anyway, <laughs> even though it's like 22 episode season. Yeah, it's like network it's TV. Traditional... <laughs> exactly. Which is great because if you need a good long binge mm-hmm. that's just enjoyable, but doesn't require a ton of brain power, totally. I highly recommend it. Yep, for sure. I'm right with you on that. What are you watching? Oh, what am I watching? Gotta be honest. We're, we're real into American Idol right now over here. <laughs> like we're watching reruns? No, or no. You're like watching the ones Current with like, season. who's it? Current Lionel Rich, no, yeah, Lionel Richie, Luke, Brian, and Katy Perry. You got it, nailed Man, it. I don't know where I pulled that out. Yeah, of. I do. Your infinite Rolodex of information, pop culture information. 
Yeah, we are uh, just as a family, really, really enjoying that one. And it's just like, how, how is a, how is this still on television? And B, mm-hmm. why is it Great still, question. why is this, why is it compelling? We have decided as a family though, that this trio of judges is our favorite panel of judges. Ever? On, on American Idol. Yeah, arguably. They've got good chemistry. I feel like heavier, but your kids are young. So they didn't even know the original I know. three. I know, but there's something, I don't know. We just, we're into it. And Top Chef starts this week. So we're really into that too. Ooh, nice. So that's going to be one that we're watching. And oh, you know what I watched? Flight Attendant. Oh, yeah. I powered through that over the holiday break. Yeah, it's good. It's like endearing and dark and like dark, super, super dark, but like kind of funny in a weird way. And Rosie Perez. I will always right? be happy to see her. Rosie Perez has popped up a lot for me lately because I also, we just got Crave just for the record. That's why these Did you all- just watch uh, well, White Man Can't Jump? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we watched Search Party. Oh, she's on search party she shows up in the first season. Yeah. Okay. Why has nobody ever mentioned this to me before? That is all I need to know to start watching that show. search party. Also very dark and very funny and very worth watching. So that's the other one. Nice. What are you listening to? Um, what am I listening to? I'm listening to, Oh, you know what? I, I listened to, uh, this series called blind spot, the road to nine 11 again, really, really light fair. Okay. It was like a really good documentary series podcast about like how 9-11 happens, but like not like the typical kind of things that most people know. It was like a very deep dive. And yeah, it was good. It was com- pretty compelling. I learned things I didn't know about that tragic event and, you know, how it unfolded um, okay. and the global politics of it all. And then mm-hmm. I'm always listening to You're Wrong About and they recently had the greatest two episode stretch on Vanessa Williams. Vanessa Williams. Yeah. Save the best for last. Call back to America Ferreira, Ugly Betty, Vanessa Williams. <laughs> yeah, it was so good. I didn't know so much about like her, her story and like the history of Miss America. And she's basically like my hero now because she has like zero Fs to give about anything and really uh-huh. just like has always kind of powered through even moments of that were like nonsense controversy like shamelessly and like truly herself so mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed that nice are you listening to anything else no wait you're wrong about mm-hmm. I started listening to that podcast because you talked about it on gaining momentum I think in the first season yeah I love it and so I started listening to it and there were so many good episodes so many like good I, episodes. one on Amy Fisher or the ones on Amy Fisher yeah. Jessica Simpson of course Vanessa Williams yeah the OJ trial, like there's so much. They do a lot of maligned women in history, mm-hmm. like and mm-hmm. pop culture. Um, yeah. But then they do like arcs on like the OJ trial and Princess Diana. Yeah. And it's really good. Honestly, I can't say enough good stuff about it. They're both really good. What about you? What are you listening to? I've been listening to a lot, a podcast, a New York Times podcast called Still Processing. Mm. And it just started a new season. Oh God. I don't know why I keep getting myself in the corners where I'm like trying to figure out a timeline when things occur, but I have no sense of time, (laughs) (laughs) but I started a new season in March question mark. And so it's a podcast about culture. Nice. Hosted by the critic at large for the New York times, Wesley Morris and the culture, a culture writer for New York times magazine, Jenna Wortham. Cool. So they talk about like all kinds of different things. Like the first episode back of the new season was a really compelling one where they talked about the N-word. Ooh, yeah. Both Jenna and Wesley are black and they kind of dissected their feelings around the N-word and the use of it. Mm. And just like a disclaimer, like that word is not for white people to use. Mm -hmm. Totally. And, but yeah, they're talking about how they feel when other black people use it and the way it makes them feel Mm -hmm. um, using it themselves. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, they really like got into it. So like that was a really compelling episode that made me um, totally tumble 
circle back down the rabbit hole. Yeah. I want to listen. I lo- I'm like very impressed by most of what New York Times puts out as podcasts. Mm-hmm. I'm also reading. Oh yeah. Reading. That's a thing. Yeah, that's it. It's just a brag. I'm reading. <laughs> uh, I'm reading uh, Phoebe Robinson's first book. Oh, you can't yeah. touch my hair and other things I still need to explain. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I started it years ago, like maybe when my kid was still an infant. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have an attention span and reading wasn't really a thing that I could do then. Yeah. So now I'm going back and picking up stuff that I wish I'd read then. And so far it's like um, a book of kind of, of personal essays. Yeah, I have heard again, like, cause I, I, I don't read and I need, I should, I'm just going to be like very unshamed about that. But I, I find like, that's why I listen to so much stuff because I just can't like for whatever, whether it's attention span or time or whatever, but I have lots in the queue. Hopefully I'll get a chance to listen to them at some point. <laughs> well, if you want to listen to some stories, should we get into the second half of our episode with Chuanis? Absolutely. Let's do it. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit too about your work as an Indigenous educator and how you got started in that field and then how you find that that has also helped you with sharing stories as a parent and with members of your community. And members outside of your community as well, actually, I guess, Mm -hmm. with everybody. Practice, practice, practice. Mm -hmm. That's really what it is. I love teaching. I I really love it. I have always wanted to do it ever since I was a little kid. I wanted to do that. And maybe my ideas around it when I was little, um, of course, have Mm -hmm. shifted because it was really, you know, in the context of elementary school to start out with. And then I quickly learned in my experience, um, I was part of a program which was then called the Native Indian Teacher Assistant Program. When I was 18, 19, I think 18 to 19. Um, And so basically we were what you call teacher assistants in the program. So I was gonna get that job under my belt and then go towards being a, a teacher. And that whole time, you know, I'd been uh, taught by late Philip Paul and Fran Paul and the Elliott family. Then I went straight into the arms of my grandfather, who had never left my side. Mm. Um, and so um, education was sort of natural and always present in my family. And so when uh, I went to uh, my undergrad and then uh, for my MA, I knew I'd always return to it. So currently, you know, I, I, am, I am doing a PhD um, in curriculum and instruction in the Faculty of Education. Uh, this is my second venture at a PhD. My first one was, it was in English and it was, they were not prepared to sort, support the work that I was doing, which is basically what we're talking about here today. Mm-hmm. So I decided with, you know, the support of my chief from Kayuka to, from Chaeklisit to step back from that process. And so now the timing is a little better and I've grown and I'm stronger. And so what I'm doing uh, is retelling the stories of my grandfather through him, uh, the history of our family and our communities, you know, through his eyes. So, you know, I guess that's always what I do as an educator is uh, I guess in school they talk about it. You know, I have a new channel of pedagogy, (laughs) (laughs) those million dollar words, but basically, basically all I do as an educator is tell stories. And recently I've thought 
again and look again at the power of telling stories. You know, I had some people ask me to, you know, come and do some consulting with dealing with some serious issues in their territory. And I thought, you know, we've really changed a lot. You know, I'll use the word consultant if it's for a reason, you know, it's just something, it doesn't hold a ton of meaning to Mm. me. But when, so, you know, I've responded back and said, well, you know, all I can do is share stories from my community and how we dealt with that Uh issue. I can tell you stories of what I've done and what I think worked and didn't work. And then you get to decide rather than coming in and delivering a Uh workshop Uh that you're supposed to follow a recipe of how Uh to do things. So I would say that my not my but this approach to education is much more inviting i'm noticing i'm allowing myself to notice the impact why do students want to hang out in my class after they've been on zoom all day Mm -hmm. mostly because they want to hear stories they want to hear more because it either gives back pieces of themselves or builds from who we are or it gives them a key or another way to look at how we're going to move mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, without telling people, uh, dictating what to do. I don't know if that really, see, I'm really like my grandfather. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you ask a question and I go off on no, it. That's great. Uh, you weave a story. <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't be more perfect, really, right? That your answer is actually built of story. And then there's so much wisdom in that story. And I think when you talk about like why they want to stick around or like what's so compelling about story, I mean, this is just my own perspective, but I think in, especially in a time when we're very, we can be very disconnected from this, it connects people to their humanity. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's true. Especially when people are provided like the space to be able to do that. My family, again, in the States, I remember, is really hurting about something. And I went over before COVID to go visit them. And, you know, I have lots of nephews. And I remember talking to, and then my feelings Mm. got pushed up and I needed to cry. You know, the beautiful thing about that experience was nobody ran and grabbed tissue and the world didn't Mm -hmm. stop. Mm -hmm. In fact, my nephews kept playing. (laughs) And, and that was a way for me to know that the kids know that they're being looked mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. they trust their parents and they see that their auntie is letting their feelings out. And that's yeah. great because they're allowed to do that mm-hmm. too, it means. And then my little nephew, Wea, came running up and kissed me on my forehead oh, my and goodness. said, I love you. He went to that play. He also didn't feel like he had to he did his part to witness my feelings Mm -hmm. and perhaps hear of my story but he wasn't burdened Mm -hmm. by it and that way that's that's what family stories because you know I was sharing my current story of what I was going Mm -hmm. through so I love the idea of that witnessing someone's emotions without feeling like you need to do something about their emotions, change the state of their emotions or like make them feel what you want them to feel, but just bear witness Mm -hmm. to what they're feeling. Totally. Because we, we live in a world that constantly telling us to avoid your feelings (laughs) at all costs. 
at all mm-hmm. costs, right? And I have to fight with myself to sit with them as well. I have to, I currently still have to try to say, okay, you know, your, your relative was, uh, was murdered by the police and I have to get up in the morning. I have to work and I, I can't go sit with the family or whatever it is that's going on. And I noticed I'm getting short tempered or irritable. Okay. Maybe those are, those are indicators that I need to sit down and allow myself mm-hmm. um, to process those feelings or go do ceremony or whatever it is that mm-hmm. I need to do to make sure I'm back in my body, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Can I ask, yeah, yeah, what sort of things do you do to get back in your body? Because sometimes I find it's easy, like when something awful or traumatic happens, it's easy to kind of float above and not be present but I'm always looking for strategies to like be there. Like you said, be in my body. Totally. I do. I, I know that uh, late Ray Peters was an elder from Hulkaminum territory. And he was actually our elder in residence when we were in school. Uh, he used to tell us, you know, when you're, we're talking about difficult things in class, say for the context of class, because we've been talking about that. I guess that's why I'm going there. But he said, you know, I want you to feel your chair and feel your desk. So, you know, I guess people call them grounding techniques. I think Native people knew about grounding techniques. They were called that. But um, and so he would tell us little things like that. And he'd tell us stories about how we need to take the time to consider things before we uh, make a decision about uh, where, where we're going to go with something, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and he would always make it funny. He'd wrap it up in humor. You know, he'd say, I see that piece of chocolate cake there. Now, do I really <laughs> have it? Or he'd say things like that. But um the other thing, you know, I've learned, and I'm open to learning from other people as well. So one of my favorite things is when, you know, you're feeling like you kind of your, your spirit or yourself is kind of outside of your body because it's stressed out. Is I like to think of a smell mm. that makes me feel good. So I like wet pavement for whatever reason. I like that smell. Um, and, uh, and it was a, a colleague of mine who does um, trauma-informed work at the university. His name, his name is... So thinking of a smell that, that makes you feel good and taking a moment, it doesn't matter what you're doing. The gift is, is to know that you can at any moment, no matter what, if you're on a busy bus, you're in the middle of traffic, you can take a moment and think of a smell. And then for a few seconds, allow yourself to smell that. Maybe it's popcorn, maybe it's fresh coffee, maybe it's your mother's perfume, who knows what it is. You get to decide, then you take the time to notice how your body responded after. So you're also witnessing yourself getting pulled through that moment. And I think there's all kinds of neat things that people know how to do to do that. For me, when I'm uh, really in distress or I'm sort of numb to the fact that I might be in distress, I can lean on what my grandfather taught me, which is for me, to know the place, you know, I do all the things like seek the permission to go to a particular river on the island. 
And then, you know, uh, when I'm in that water, I sing a particular mm -hmm. song and I stay in it for a specific amount of time, I suppose. And then I know that I'm supposed to be leaving things behind when I let go of that water. Mm. So I know that specifically on the island, I was taught that only that salt water can really take mm. things away. Um, and so that's important to my relationship with also mm -hmm. the land that it's not a one-way street. I'm not the only one seeking it. That 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 body of water, that tree, that the place and the land also might miss mm. me and need time from me. Um, and so uh, I, I find doing things like that um, are grounding, and you know, taking the time when I'm outside to notice, you know, the land mm -hmm. carrying on, like you know now even though there were some cold spots it always amazes me that little blossoms mm -hmm. still push mm -hmm. through even tied to snow and then you know wow that's right it's the sun that's dictating all of that it's not whether we get a cold snap mm -hmm. or not so um, that helps me get outside of my individual yep. story and into looking um uh that things uh also carry on around me and that you know once i'm ready i can mm, join i like that a lot <laughs> once i'm ready i can join <laughs> yeah that's right we get to decide and sometimes we have people in our lives who kind of encourage us to yeah. not stay stuck as and they're important people to us to consider what they say also. yeah yeah not staying stuck. That's a big one that comes up a lot, I think. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it does when you're raising kids. Mm -hmm. too. I find that Thank I get you. stuck, like even just in terms of when we were talking about making space for people's emotions and like letting, like just bearing witness as opposed to trying to change that. Because sometimes like I find, you know, I'll get frustrated and my son's having big feelings and I'm like, okay, but we got to go like, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, instead of just being like, I see that you're having big feelings and just sort of let him have his feelings. I can go do something else, check back in, make sure he's still doing what he like, you know, mm -hmm. he's still okay. And he's still there. And then like, you know, just give him the space to feel what he feels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so true. Especially when they're little, because actually they're much better at being in tune with mm -hmm. their bodies because they're being in mm -hmm. their bodies. Right. The schedule. So, you know, one thing that I've really appreciated about um, having my son outside of the school system is not acclimatizing him to a mm -hmm. schedule. Uh, you know, to a certain degree, you know, if we have a doctor's appointment or a dentist appointment, but you see now that he's 14, he orients himself towards that. It's not me telling him, he's like, I have to set an alarm. Um, but when we were little, I we specifically, when we reminisce sort of about when he did go to school, one of the highest points of stress was the morning and from getting yes. out of the house to get yes. Where I'm shaking my head because Abby and I have had this conversation probably once a week for the last six months, <laughs> how stressful <laughs> we find that part of our day. Yes. And then 
what it made me think about in terms of my grandfather sharing stories. So like I said, he kind of pulled me out of school because, you know, I spent more time with him doing regular daily things with him than I did in class. That taught me that when I was with my son, you know, um, what I realized when I was rushing and we were stressed out, uh, that I wasn't spending enough time you know, telling those stories uh, to my children. And I, I remember when um, my daughter was little, we were getting stressed out and I made something up. So that was modeled to me. My grandpa made something up about not being a butterfly and mm-hmm. being a flower. And I course it stuck with me because it gave mm-hmm. me a good feeling, right? But, uh, so I, I know that... Um, you know, as a single parent, as a parent of little people, and you're living this life that's so scheduled and so dictated by mm-hmm. others, you get stressed mm-hmm. out. And so I used to get super stressed out. And then I learned from uh, a friend of mine, he said, well, why don't you start the day over with her? So she was about four years old. We were rushing around to get to daycare because I was going to school at the time or something. And then I realized we were freaking out, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. we were stressed out. Perhaps we didn't like oh, each yeah. other very much in that point. <laughs> been oh, yeah. there, been there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so then I said, wait a minute, Mahwa, let's go start the day again. And she stopped and said, what? And I said, come on. So I picked her up. We went back to bed. We went under the covers and she was so, you know, thrown off guard <laughs> by it. I said, I said, okay, active. Oh, good morning. Good morning. How are you? And we had a chance to flip the emotion. Yep. And a lot of things we do in, in, in our potlatch, you know, uh, there are clear markers of flipping the emotion from grieving to celebrating, et cetera. So it's a conscious decision to switch things over. So while I made it up on the fly, it didn't come mm-hmm. out of thin air. It obviously all the things I'd experienced and been taught sort of um, came out in a creative way in a moment that mm-hmm. needed it. You know, it's not a giant, it's not a change the world moment, but it definitely changed me and my kids experience with mm-hmm. getting out. The it changed that day. That's for sure. By being able to reset and you change yeah. one day, then you recognize what you need to do to change the next day. Exactly. And in the meantime, in between time, that worked and it helped set me on a path towards not having to do mm. that at all. My son and I have hardly uh, any stress because of that one thing of not having to rush mm-hmm. to get out the door. It's huge. Yeah, it is huge. It's kind of going like a little bit of a, a pivot, but yes. because we keep talking about your grandfather, but we haven't actually talked about your podcast mm-hmm. idea. And I want to make sure we give you room to talk about that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you two are the experts on podcasts. <laughs> I'm absolutely clueless except that. I can't remember how this came up, but uh, you know, I, for my MA, I, I did record um, uh, our family history and some stories Um uh, I did a creative piece on what happened with my grandfather um, when he was removed from residential school. But of course, for my MA, 
they want you to develop your thesis and mm-hmm. themes. So they want you to develop that story in a particular way to feed the needs of mm-hmm. the institution. I'm not saying it wasn't wrong or it wasn't a great process and all of those things, but they were designed to focus uh, on, on specific things in a specific moment mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. history in secondary. And so, so I did do that and then I realized in my PhD that uh, one of the powerful things was that the stories are oratory. My grandfather told them to me all sitting and visiting in his living room or driving up island in his car or this or that or being at a at, at, at a meeting with um, with other nations, et cetera. And so I then also realized we live in a world that takes us away so much from even being able to do what I did. Like I chose for the first little bit, you know, to be on welfare for a bit so I could spend time mm-hmm. with my grandfather. I've chosen to live my life in a way where I made time for him. So I like to tell that because mm-hmm. I'm proud of mm-hmm. that example and lived beside him, chose to live beside him anyway. So <clears throat> I realized, you know, I'm also living in a society that encourages me to um, be busy, busy, you know, with the illusion of work and, you know, chasing things. And um, I didn't want to do that. And uh I wanted to make sure that my children, because uh, they're not going to pick up my <laughs> like the truth. Maybe when they're older, if they decide they want I was going to say, I so. have not picked up my own thesis. Like, yeah. <laughs> will you even yeah. pick up your own again? Full disclosure, I have never read my partner's dissertation. So let's yeah. just put that on the table right now. There we go. Exactly, exactly. And so... I thought, well, what's a way? And I was talking to my committee, um, and uh, one of them is Dr. Ted Regan, and um, you know, he's a he's a very quiet, unassuming <laughs> person. And so then he says to, you know, he mentions the idea of a podcast, and I thought that's going to be uh-huh. perfect because I get to tell the story. It's sort of all, it's short of live streaming. It's uh-huh. almost like live streaming, except recording for you to show another time it's happening in the moment and then I could also do some things like in the beginning I could make it closed for my Mm -hmm. children I could tell them my children present so they could engage with the story Mm -hmm. as I'm telling it and so that's what I'm going to do and so in some of my research I'm looking at what native people are doing in terms of podcasts and storytelling and then I'm also looking at people who've done their thesis as podcasts. So there is one person who has done their whole wow. thesis as podcasts that I found. I would out. see that. Some I, I would listen to that. that. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Isn't that amazing? So it's interesting because um, we're at a really important time. And I feel that the chair of my department, who's also on my committee, is very open to doing things differently. So, uh, you know, normally one would have to... Um, do uh, for their comprehensive Mm -hmm. exams would have to do two articles. So, you know, my committee has given me a license to be able to um, do one article and then one sample podcast for my comprehensive exam. And those are the kinds of things we should be able Uh to do, you know, Um, especially if it's a, a, you know, a new child person who's 
you know, I'm connected to people mm -hmm. on the island and the university is sitting on the territory of the local people. So, you know, they have an obligation mm -hmm. to orient themselves towards changing themselves, totally. not me and myself <laughs> like a gymnast. <laughs> yeah. Fit into yeah. that box. So They're walking the walk in terms of like, it's really powerful to hear because, you know, you hear universities talk about you know the multiplicity of ways of knowing right and like ways of like creating knowledge and sharing knowledge but I haven't actually seen that much practical movement in that discussion where people are actually able to like find different mediums to share knowledge so to hear that they've opened that to you it's moving beyond lip service which is encouraging yes which is very encouraging it is very encouraging and it also takes you know a few of us maybe it's something to do with age but you know it's been important that i had you know my grandfather's support when he was alive and then understood how that support still stays mm -hmm. with me so that i can assert mm -hmm. myself it's sort of tied to me determining for myself as a new channel person rather than allowing me to get too distracted by the barriers the institution imposes. So for me to be able to decide at every moment, whether it's working, like in my past experience with the PhD, I decided it mm -hmm. wasn't working. And so I think as I get older, I get better at deciding what's working and what isn't gonna work. And I give myself permission all the time to withdraw from that process if it seems like it might do myself harm my children harm or my community harm, mm -hmm. you know? And so uh, what I like too is that while we sit with this idea of like the importance of public access to education, some of the things that I might share from my grandfather are only, well, really to be blunt, relevant to my children and mm -hmm. our community. May not even be relevant to my daughter's uh, father's side of the nation of New Channels people. Um, it can be an interesting story, but it may not uh, be as relevant. And so um, the openness to uh, being able to sort of critique what we mean by public mm -hmm. access and things like that, I think is an, also an important part of discussing how uh, also we'll move forward and sort of shift some of the things that we keep claiming we're going to shift through mm -hmm. things like reconciliation, which is one of my least favorite <laughs> words, because I don't really have anything to reconcile myself. So, but yeah, I think uh, also it's important for me when I'm looking at other Native people coming through the post-secondary institution that I'm modeling pushing mm -hmm. back mm -hmm. at is what I'm saying, basically. And and also, you know, asking for what you need yes. and instead of uh, assuming it's not going to mm -hmm. get right. Met, right, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited about that in case it's not obvious that 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 turn is happening. <laughs> I would love to hear more and I'm sure our listeners would also love to hear more. And um, as that project unfolds and if it is something that becomes, you know, available through, you know, your standard podcast spaces. Yeah, we would love if if it's um, feels good for you, we would love to be able to share that and have people connect with it. Yeah, please keep us posted. 
That's so awesome. The other thing that I'd like to talk about um, just before mm-hmm. we leave too is um, this talk about having a podcast. And, you know, their idea is talking about um, uh, having like an auntie and niece. Ooh, I like that. So that we can sit in conversation with each other and they can, we can, you know, have, uh, they can let me know what, what are their aches and pains and what are the things that they're currently dealing with that they uh-huh. might support and, uh-huh. you know. Then they can look at me and say, oh, what's it like for you, Auntie, in your era? How is that landing for you or whatever, you know? But I do think people are a little bit craving things to be not dialed down, but sort of in a way that they can make sense of it to have a real conversation. I think that's the power of families Uh and a, a power of parenting is you get to practice being able to uh, critically think, Mm -hmm. uh, look again at history, uh, look again at our current context, and to be able to puzzle things through Mm -hmm. with your children, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and so I like this idea too. So there might be a couple of things that I end up being that's exciting. <laughs> involved with. Yeah. And like, yeah. you can see our faces like, light up. We're like, yes, more Joannis, please. We love Joannis. <laughs> These are all yeah. good ideas. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. And I think, you know, one of the things that's really present for, you know, I'll say that about uh, my niece, Katie is, uh, is the issue of sexualized violence. Yep. It's a huge issue. And you mentioned that in my mm-hmm. little introduction before. And and so um, one of the reasons why is we, we want to be able to generate conversations because mm-hmm. we've gotten caught in, in this unhealthy un- loop, um, this loop of colonization. And, and the state has prescribed particular ways to address problems and mm-hmm. they're all the same and we need to make some space together uh to sit down and discuss how we're going to get out of that loop mm-hmm. um and you know that's why i enjoy um you know talking about these things because i'm hoping it leads to absolutely. different actions yeah yeah absolutely that's what we do and that's even um that's why we're so grateful for you taking the time with us today Thank you, Gaining Momentum community. I want to shout out all the parents out there who are thriving, all the parents out there who are just doing their best to survive. I want to shout out everyone who's lost people over this past year. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine how hard this must be, especially doing it in isolation without the normal supports that you have. So we see you. We love you. We're sending love and hope your way. And I'm hoping that we will all continue to be able to celebrate and shout each other out on the other side. Well, I have two more questions, though, (laughs) if you have time for them, join us. Yes, yes, I do. Neither Megan nor I are Indigenous, and a lot of our listeners come from different backgrounds. So we wanted to get your advice as a teacher, an educator, and a parent on what non-Indigenous parents can do better or more of talking to their children about decolonization. Yes, I think that understanding decolonization and how it's played out specifically in the territories in which you are Mm -hmm. occupying illegally, (laughs) I have to just say that, but Mm -hmm. um, 
to understand specifically how it's played out is important to uh, you can you can't attack a problem without seeing it fully. So that's a responsibility. I think if your kids are going to school, you there's no other way to slice it. As a parent, you have to be willing to counter narratives your children going to school may hear. For example, my son came home from school and he said, "Mom, there was a book. I can't remember how old he was. Maybe he was about seven or eight. And he said, and they said that Canada happened, and then they built a railroad." <laughs> And all this, said, nothing about what you tell me, mom. He said, can we go back and burn? The- like your lighter's <laughs> already fully lit. And yeah. I didn't mean to say burn the school down. Cause I was like, that seems Fair appropriate response. as well. So. Exactly. And so um, listening to them, uh, to uh, young people's responses. I have a friend who's non-Indigenous who teaches in mm-hmm. French, uh, Um, who teaches about colonization from day one to June. So if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, I don't care who you are, you can teach about that in the context of your home. It's not only a school Mm -hmm. topic. We've got to take it up outside of ourselves or only in activists or or only. It should actually be conversations we're having at the dinner table. Absolutely. You know, in the context of our homes. And so I, I think that in uh, first a person has to understand, you know, what decolonization is, you know, um, it's a complex term and in other contexts, it's meant other things. In Algeria, mm-hmm. it meant the removal of the French, mm-hmm. literally. In other contexts, we're talking about taking apart institutionalized thinking decolonizing our mind, decolonizing our relationship to history. Mm-hmm. There is a textbook project on UVic's website by Pia Russell, who looks at, has uh, re, uh, copied textbooks from, I forget how many years, 50 years or something, could be longer, I can't remember right now. And you get to see the full picture of how come people think. People in droves going through public school mm-hmm. you see that women enter texts only after mm-hmm. 1940. You see that text talk about the four races of man. You see that Indigenous people are little spurses of people from mm-hmm. the past that don't and sometimes don't exist. It gives you a broad picture of how come we have the view of people that we do. I also like this thing I learned from these young people, a practice called bystander intervention. Have you two heard of that? Mm -hmm. And I think what I take out of it, because of course, you know, people approach things in a certain way, and they practice it in the context of being active politically mm-hmm. or whatever they do. But I said, gosh, I do that with my kids. So when my kids experience an incident of racism, they often come home and they tell me about it because they need practice mm-hmm. to respond. So mm-hmm. kind of act it out together and we get to decide know what works and doesn't work but I also think people should be doing things like that on the regular with their kids with their families how does it feel so when my daughter came home uh you know there's still this stereotype of native girls and Mm -hmm. slut shaming 
Mm-hmm. It plays out specifically and very violently. And when she was about 16, she came home and said she wanted to tune up somebody who was talking like that. So she wasn't sure what to do. And she brought it up to me because she was a safe, I'm a safe person. Mm-hmm. That's not going to tell her what is the correct response to it. But we created space to be able to decide how we're going to respond. So to take things into consideration. So I said, you know, you're 16. I'm not with you all the time. So if you go back downtown, are you prepared if you get jumped by more than one person, if you, you know, start this? Mm-hmm. So we had to talk about the whole scenario. And then she made a decision about how she was going to respond to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so uh, I think I lost track of what. No, it's okay. This was. is like really what we were asking. What and then I think when I hear you talking about all the things that you may be doing in your household to empower and equip your kids um, in those instances where they are confronted with these moments, it is more so in my mind the responsibility of settler parents or non-Indigenous parents to be having those same practices and conversations, like you mentioned, bystander intervention, mm-hmm. in terms of like preparing non-Indigenous kids to also be stepping into those situations where in where it's appropriate and where it serves to you know, be doing that work, that it shouldn't just fall on kids who are um, experiencing that firsthand. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then as parents, we have to be willing to withdraw our kids from situations where they're not protected. Yes. Mm -hmm. Another example is when my son was little, um, he was part of a kid's, you know, after separation when me and the father Mm -hmm. split up. Um, it was part of this group. Anyways, I gave it the benefit of the doubt. I sent my son, he went with his little buddy and his buddy had two moms Mm. and my son has long hair. And so there was a person facilitating the group and there, and uh, I learned this afterwards. My son didn't even actually tell me this, but, uh, one child was snickering because the girl said, um, First, they said, are you a boy or a girl to my son? Because it was long hair. And one's like, I didn't know that those were my only two. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) But he also felt this conundrum. I remember clearly because he's saying, I don't want to say something because I don't want to act like I don't like girls because I don't want to be a girl or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so he was felt kind of stuck in that moment but then they went off and said you have two moms to that little girl Mm -hmm. and there was snickering and he saw that the parent didn't enter or the person running the group didn't intervene so he stepped in and he leaned into it and he said that's right she has two moms Squash the proudest moment of your parenting life. Yes. Yeah. But again, it's not. And so then I made a decision to tell that story. And I asked him, do you want to be? Nope, that group is not Mm -hmm. for me. If that's what we're starting with, and if the adult didn't intervene, yeah, then done deal. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I respect my my children's decision if something like that is going on, right? Mm -hmm. 
The same way my children get to decide who gets to go past the threshold of my door. If they feel someone isn't safe, even if it's somebody who I, you know, in my old age think, oh, well, they're mm -hmm. fine. If they have something, I pay attention to mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, I'm tired of seeing also, you know, us having to like, I joke around sometimes and say, you know what? Sometime I'd like to just sit around and watch Netflix and not have to defend all this mm -hmm. shit. Maybe yeah. Yes. Nah. Totally. Yes. Maybe yes. enjoy a meal with my family. Other people <laughs> need to step in and do something about this as well. And also um, stop harming others, you know, intervene when it's happening. And, you know, the only way to do it again is to practice, practice, practice. So to take opportunities, even if you make a mistake and you intervene where maybe, you know, this person doesn't want you to, they'll tell mm -hmm. you, I'm okay. I got mm -hmm. this. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then it's about listening yeah. to that and not taking it personally and not making it about you, but hearing that feedback. And, I, it's, yeah. it, you know, it's better to have been wrong in that way than to be, have been wrong in the other way where you didn't step in yes. or you didn't support. Exactly, exactly. So my final question for you, yes. um, earlier we talked a little bit about elders and aunties and uncles. Um, my family's Nigerian, so it's the same in our culture where we call anybody older auntie and uncle. Yes. And when I was a kid, like I just assumed my parents had a million siblings <laughs> because I called everybody <laughs> auntie and uncle. <laughs> and so I just wanted to know from cultures that have a deep respect for elders, what do you think the respect and deference paid to elders means for passing on family legacies and family histories? Yeah, I think, again, for me, just going back to making time, but I think we've reached a point in time. Well, you know, one thing I can hear my relative telling me, too, is, you know, first, we got to be careful about the word elder in the sense that in English, it's tied to the church. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so in English, you know, in mine, so my elder sisters, I joke around, I call them the boss in my family, in the language. So we have words in our language that refer that. So it's more the responsibility that person has to be accountable to the other folks in the family. So it's more related to providing some guidance and advisement based on their experience. Um, and, and unfortunately, we've reached a point in time where folks have come through uh, residential school um, and, and they may get, pre so this topic is always one I, I, I approach with carefulness because in my experience, you know, I had a beautiful grandfather. My daughter got to spend her first, uh, her her life with him and he passed when my son was two so they both got a little piece of a great grandfather can you imagine mm -hmm. he was beautiful he is not harmful but sometimes the way we talk about having deference and respect I think it's important for me to say to young people that they have to earn that in your life mm. you have to earn that in your life because sometimes, and, and I'm thinking about my communities and my experience, that people have used being an elder to control you. 
control mm. your thinking and control your behavior. Now, I'm not saying that's the way we were meant to be and that's how mm -hmm. our systems worked at all, but I do see that occurring. Um, and, and sometimes as older people, we have to get better at knowing when our fear of change and our fear of things is interfering with the guidance we provide younger people, mm, interesting. right? So, yeah. mm -hmm. But I do think in a broader societal context, when I see old people being put into homes and removed, and we see old people being separate from our families and, um, and we don't get to listen to their stories, whether it's stories of conflict in the family, without understanding that we are moving forward in a way that uh, may not provide us with a clear picture. So um, we live in a society that separates everybody, folks who are homeless um, or without homes or currently not housed. Uh, you know, we're taught to live separately from them uh, we all of that uh, compartmentalizing people and categorizing is, does damage to passing on what you're calling as a mm -hmm. legacy. You mm -hmm. have to make time for each other. Plus, you know what? The reality is we're all going to mm -hmm. get old. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, for, and you either want to be someone that's kind of still useful in the family or not, you mm -hmm. know, and that's <laughs> my goal. My body might fall apart a little bit as I get older, although I'm going to do my best, take care of myself so that I can, uh, I can be there for as long as my grandfather was. I'm sort of having any competition. Yeah. To see if I can <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I like to look at him as an example of the direction that I want to go or like late friend Paul or some of the other women in my family, there are traits about them that I like to keep close to me mm -hmm. so that I can go towards that. Um, the other thing is the, the dominant narrative that we all have is not countered enough. So I can't speak to the importance of sharing those stories within our families and communities. Mm -hmm. Uh, sharing the way we uh, approach those stories and what we consider and be critically reflective on how we take them up within our families. Um, because, you know, we're getting some debris out of the way so that our children can also have an opportunity to, uh, to approach things differently, to change up their strategy mm -hmm. so that they don't continue to have to cycle back through this one where the reality is in Canada, Indigenous people are wards of the state under the Indian Act. Like wow. sitting here, that's what I am. But I know that isn't the whole story. You know, I don't want the only story for my children to be one of subjugation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's why those stories are so important. Because I actually had a relative say to me, why do you think those stories are so important? Mm -hmm. And I'm because, well, you know, the things you're working towards changing in our community, there are some keys in those stories to unlocking the way to go forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think there's a better way to end it than on that. No. That our <laughs> legacies and our stories have the keys to unlocking the best way to move forward. That's really powerful. Mm -hmm. awesome. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Joannis, and for sharing your time with us. We appreciate that.
Oh, I really appreciate it too. And I can't wait to listen to episodes of gaining momentum too. <laughs> I'm really glad. I'm so happy you two approached me about this podcast because, you know, I was feeling a little shy and I was the, the greenhorn in the group who doesn't know what they're doing. Like I'm still taking intro to podcast. You're doing great. So. You're doing amazing. <laughs> it's helpful. Anything we can do to help along the way, we're here too. So any questions you have? Oh, absolutely. wonderful. I really appreciate that. Thank Thanks you. Thanks so much for your time. <laughs> yeah, thank you as well. And now it's time for us to pause for momentum. So this week's pause will be a little bit different. Instead of a poem that I wrote, I'm going to read a poem written by Rebecca Thomas from her poetry collection, I Place You Into the Fire. This poem is called Nothing Special. She will not be special. There will be no reference to her next level. She will not break barriers or be the first. Her success will not quench a guilty thirst. Her history will not be both blessing and curse, and she will only experience unexpected hurt. She will walk on shards of glass as she stares at the sky. There will be no broken barrier high. She will sigh, content in her place. She will have no need to demand space. She will be unremarkable simply by birth. She will have normalized worth. She will slip through streets unnoticed. She will automatically be given an earnings bonus. Her claims of pain will never be called bogus, and her need to do so will be measured in iotas. Invisibility at its finest. Her smile will not be coaxed from shyness. There will be no singular day of celebration. There will be no challenges to her remuneration. She will not be a ghost or host to ego. No one will dissect her chromosomes, debate the merits of her free throw. No chance of wherever she goes, we go. Banners about pussies and wit will languish in the garbage pit. There will be no protests over body business because no one will give a single shit. Her, ex her existence will be seamless. She will not do more and dream less. She will banish the diminutive suffix. She will be ignored and respected. She will not be society reflected. There will be no compliments that need to be deflected. She will be left alone. And finally, she will feel at home. I'm just going to redo that last, last verse. Her existence will be seamless. She will not do more and dream less. She will banish the diminutive suffix. She will be ignored and respected. She will not be society reflected. There will be no compliments that need to be deflected. She will be left alone. And finally, she will feel at home. We acknowledge that Gaining Momentum is recorded, produced, and edited on the unceded territory of the Selic Okanagan people and the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Gaining Momentum. Gaining Momentum. Hosted by Megan and Abby. With artwork by Catherine Katja. Music by Evan Dysart. Please check our show notes with each episode for more information on Catherine and Evan, plus how you can stay in touch with us through email, Instagram, and Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you.